The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So it is good to see you all and for us to gather again to worship our great God. Um, If you're new here, um, my name is Miguel Warren. I have the privilege of serving uh, Park Church, and uh, I am over, I'm the director of community here. So if this is your first time here, welcome. It's not by accident that the Lord brought you here, so praise God for that. Um, But I have a few announcements before we get into God's Word. Uh, First is, uh, we have what is called a welcome meal. So in two weeks on August 25th, we will have uh, our welcome meal upstairs in the upstairs classroom from 8.30 to 10.30. And these are for people who are new to park or newish to park. Um, we encourage you to come because it's a great way to, one, get to know and meet other people that are new to park as well. Um, and also, uh, just to learn a little bit more about who we are uh, as a church and what we're doing here in the city of Denver. So um, if you can, sign up online or you can go straight to the information desk right after service and sign up as well. Uh, The next announcement is introductions. So if you are new, you don't necessarily have to wait two weeks. You can go right after service down this hall to my right, your left. Um, There'll be a sign marked introductions. Um, We would just, it takes 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes just to get to know who you are a little bit and for you get to know a little bit about Park as well. So uh, again, right after service, just go straight down through these doors. Um, My right, your left, and you'll see a sign introductions and someone from our staff will be there to greet you and you get to know a little bit more about Park. And then lastly, if Park is your home, if Park is, if you call Park your home, We're encouraging you um, and we love for you to give in three ways. The first is we want to give give with your time and service. Um, Serving the church and uh, it it matters and it helps actually blesses the church. We believe that everyone has a gift and we're called to to, uh, help and use our gifts to edify the body. So please, we're asking you to give your time and service here to Park Church. Secondly, we're asking you... Also to give financially. Um, give financially because it helps propel the ministry forward. It helps take care of you all and also helps do work in the uh, God's kingdom here in the city of Denver. So please, if you can, give financially as well um, if Park Church is your home. Lastly is we ask you to give by with your life on mission. So God has called each and every one of you all to live in a specific place, be part of a specific gospel community, and that's not by chance. So we're asking that you would live on mission, take the kingdom of God to everywhere you go so that his name can be great amongst the nations. Amen? 
Amen. So let me, uh, without further ado, let me get into the text. And uh, we'll, before I do, I'll pray for us. Um, and if you could pray for me as well, because what we're going to do is we're actually going to talk about the holiness of God. And although um, it is it is definitely a weighty topic, 30, 35 minutes is not, can we can spend eternity talking about this. So pray uh, for me and I will be praying for you as well. All right. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you so much. For your faithfulness, we thank you for your love, for your kindness, for your, for your um, faithfulness. Lord, I am not oblivious that many of us come through these doors today with burdens on our hearts. Life is hitting us in all different ways. We have marital issues. We're having uh, financial issues. We're having kid issues. We're having job issues, uh, family issues, God, and um, the beautiful thing is that you already know. And so nothing catches you by surprise, although it catches us by surprise. So in this moment, God, I pray that with all that we have, with all that we're, we're carrying into this room, that we would be free to lay them at your feet. Your work tells us that we can bring our burdens and lay them on your son, Jesus, and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So God, I pray that they feel your presence and feel that they can lay whatever it is at your foot, God. And Holy Spirit, and God, we're asking that the Holy Spirit will come and flood this place. Meet us, Father. Enlighten our hearts and our minds to be able to understand the goodness of your word. We're asking you to move, God. Holy Spirit, move. Yeah, we, we, we pray that your word uh, will do exactly what it says it will do, that it will rebuke and that it would encourage, that it would exhort one another. And Lord, I pray that it also saves someone here today. Your word is living and active, Lord, and I'm grateful that we have a God that is very present and did not leave us hanging. So God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. And we all together said, amen. Um, I would like to read a quote for you uh, before we start in. This quote comes from David Wells <clears throat> from his book called, or it's actually come from his book. It's called uh, God in the Wastelands. Here's what he has to say in his book. We have turned to a God that we use rather than to a God we must obey. We have turned to a God who will fulfill all our needs rather than to a God before whom we must surrender our rights to ourselves. He is a God for us, for our satisfaction, not because we have learned to think of him this way through Christ, but because we have learned to think of him through the marketplace. The marketplace, everything is for us, for our pleasure, for our satisfaction, and we have come to assume that this must be so in the church as well. And so we transform the mercy of God into God who is at our mercy. He goes on to argue that the modern church is infatuated with the love of God and embarrassed at his holiness. 
We are more enamored with the therapeutic and psychological use of God to provide us the inner peace than we are with the fact that he is holy and therefore we must be holy. And if we do not not reverence God as holy, then he rests lightly on us. We take him or leave him to the degree that we find him useful. Wells later write, holiness is what defines God's character most fundamentally. And a vision of his holiness should inspire his people and invoke their worship, sustain their character, fuel their passion of truth, and engage persistent in efforts to do his will and call on his name in prayer. I have three questions I want to ask you. And I want you to examine yourself. Where do you fall in within these three questions? Are you one who David Wells just explained, are you one that, 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 that you use God and you try to get what you want out of him? Or, or are you one that, 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 that you're angry at God because life hasn't gone the way you want it to be, right? You feel like you've gotten the short end of the stick, that, that what he has done is not fair and, you're like, and you decide to put him on the docket. And, say, ask, and question him as if you're the authority and he's not. Or maybe you're one here today where you recognize God's holiness and you recognize how messed up we are. And so you live your life in such a way to where you reverence him and holiness. Where do you fall? Because the truth is, each of us fall under one of those camps. And regardless of what, and whatever camp you fall up under, the Bible here, and even in, in this text today, rings, louder one, rings loud one simple truth that we all must adhere to. And that is, God is holy. And Psalms 99 is going to speak to the holiness of God, but not only to the holiness of God, but also our response to God's holiness. And so to sum up this passage here, these nine verses can be simply stated this. Because God is holy, we are to worship him and submit to his authority. So you have to understand, in the first century, when they wanted to emphasize something, they did not have the privilege that we have, right? They don't, they can't like italicize words, put, put, uh, put it in bold letters. They could put the exclamation mark three times after it or whatever we do to try to emphasize that how important something is. But what we do see in the text in the first century, what they would do is they will say words repeatedly to call attention to the importance of it. You will see Jesus that sits over here and say, truly, truly, I say to you. He's saying, hey, what I am saying is very important. You have Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelations, you have uh, the angels that will sing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Which is letting us know that there's something important here that we need to give ear to. 
Because nowhere in the Bible will you see the word mercy, mercy, or love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. No, the the only thing you see that's repeated three times is the word holy, holy, holy. And in Psalms 99, we see the word holy is he, holy is he, our God is holy, which lets us know that we ought to pay important attention to how holy God is. Let me give you a simple definition. When we think about holiness, holiness is, but not limited to this, holiness is not just the moral perfection or the purity or the, uh, or the right conduct. That is part of holiness, but that is not what holiness in all of its entirety is. What holiness is, um, holiness is, when it comes to God, it is at its truth, It is the heart that he is separated from all. He is distinct from all. He is cut from a different cloth, if we can use that term. Uh, Or or to put it in our modern term, or our modern language, um, um, he's in a league all by himself. And so holy is the way of God. And so to be holy... He does not conform to a standard because he is the holy standard. And it is, uh, um, and and he is absolutely holy in, in all that he is. And his attributes are display or elements of his holiness. So you have, not only is he mercy, but his, he has holy mercy and Holy love and holy grace and holy justice. Holiness is the essence of who he is and fuels out all of his other attributes. The Bible tells us even that he is holy. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us, it says, Thus, for thus says the Holy One who is high and lifted up, who is inhabitants, who inhabitants eternity. Holy, excuse me, whose name is holy. I dwell in the holy and high place. First Samuel 2, 2 tells us there is none like you. There is none holy like the Lord. There, uh, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And in Exodus 15, 11 tells us this as well. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so again, we come to this text and it reminds us that because God is holy, we are to praise him. God in reverence, worship God with a submissive heart, and to worship God intimately because of his mercy. Let me say that again for you. Because God is holy, we ought to praise him in reverence, we ought to worship him with a submissive heart, and we ought to worship him intimately because he is holy. Let's look at the praise of God in reverence. 
Look at verse 1 through 3 with me, will you? It says, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon, uh, upon the cherubims. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the people. Let them praise uh, your great and awesome name. Holy is he. We have been going through the book of Psalms this summer. And we have seen this phrase plenty of times, the Lord reigns. And what we have seen so far is that we've seen it coupled with the Lord reign, let us rejoice and sing a new song. Or the Lord reigns and let us praise him, his name. And that is very true. But what the psalmist is trying to get us to do here now is that although we praise him and we sing a new song, we ought to revere his holiness though at the same time. And so when he says that the Lord reigns, it is a proclamation that he is saying about who God is, that he is sovereign and he is majestic over all. He says the Lord reigns, meaning he wasn't voted in by majority votes, right? He, it wasn't like he, he said, hey, who likes me? How many people can I get to say, vote me in so I can reign over your life, so I can reign over all the universe at that? He wasn't voted in. No. It is the essence of who he is. It is proclaimed that he reigns. He reigns over evil. Regardless of what we may see, he reigns over evil because his sovereign rules never stops. And get this, not only because he reigns, that means he reigns over your life. That means he reigns over the worries, the hurts, the unknowns that you have, that you go with day to day. He reigns over all of that. And I will say this, kids, as you get ready to go back to school, he even reigns over your life as well. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom intending to the home, whether you're a working mom, a stay-at-home dad, one who's working, whatever the scope of it is, there is not an element of your life or of this earth that the Lord does not reign over. Because here's the truth. The moment that he stops reigning, we have a problem. <laughs> we think this world is bad now. Let him stop reigning. Who then will take the throne? Because I know one that said that fell from angel that wanted it from the very beginning. And I know by God, I pray it never be and it will never happen. We wouldn't want Satan himself to reign over that. So understand here that in spite of this chaos, listen, it is that we have a cosmos and that everything is intact because of his sovereign rule and reign of who God is. And so when you look at this text, it starts off and says that he reigns. And then it also says right after that, that he, is seat, that he sits above the cherubims. Why is that even important? Because what this is trying to unpack and it's trying to let us know how he reigns and how he has authority over all. Because when it says that he sits above the cherubims, what you have to understand is that when the tabernacle was built, there was a place called the Holies of Holies. And inside the Holies of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was draped in this gold. And on top of it, you had what was called the mercy seat. And of the mercy seat, you had these cherubims, these wings 
uh, angels that would, uh, as it symbolized, but these are real angels that were created by God. But the ark, in, uh, but the ark symbolized these cherubims. And you had, they, they sat on each end of this, uh, of the ark of the mercy seat. And they had their wings covering, facing down the mercy seat. And, you, and, and the idea is that only, only you can go in there when God summons you. Or when he summons the priest. And so what this is saying is that when it says that he sits enthroned above the cherubims, hey, understand that he is so holy, he is above all that there is. And so what this is trying to do is hammering the point that, hey, he reigns and he sits on a throne. And he's above the cherubim in the most holiest places there is. And we're going to see in the text how that unpacks that. But it's setting the tone to let us know God is holy and he reigns. He sits on the throne. Then you even look in the text, it says he is exalted over all. Exalted. It is his very nature to be elevated over all. He's all. He is above all. He's above your thoughts. He's even above the idols that you, that we so aimlessly try to pursue so that we can have fulfillment. Understand, when it says that he is exalted, it's not saying that, um, that he got to that place. No, that is his very nature. He is elevated over all. He towers over our thoughts. He towers over the idols that we pursue. He even, that means he is exalted above the angels and the heavens, which also means he is exalted over the earth. Therefore, he is exalted. He is over our lives as well. He is the creator of all. And because he's the creator of all, get this, our very being exists because of him. Whether you are a believer or not, people were made in the image of God. The existence of people is because of God. And there's not an area over this universe, over this world, and over your life that he is not reigning and he's exalted over. The question is, do you respond in such a way that he is holy and that he is overall. Because then it says that he reigned, let the Lord reign. He's seated above the throne. He's exalted over all. And then later on in the text, it says that, hey, we are to praise his awesome, uh, praise his great and awesome name. Understand this. Why is that so important? This awesome name is a sense of awe, is a sense of fear and reverence of who he is. Because the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, 9, that uh, he is the name that is above every name. Acts chapter 4, 12 tells us that there's no salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus. And newsflash, Jesus is God. Fully man, fully God. That's another day. We'll talk about that. But salvation is above, no, the salvation is nobody's name but other than his. And then we even say the prayer oftentimes in our life. When the disciples say, hey, Jesus. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, this is how you ought to pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven. What does he say? He says what? Hallowed be thy name. How holy is our name. Which means that even when we pray, there has to be an acknowledgement of how holy God is. And here's here's the crazy thing. And then because of his holiness, because he reigns, Because he's exalted, the text shows us that we ought to respond in that way. We ought to, the text says that we ought to tremble. It says the earth is to quake. Which means that there has to be a response to his holiness. Especially if you proclaim that God is the head of your life. 
there has to be a response to that. <laughs> Lion King, one of the best movies of all times. I can, I can argue, I can, I will argue you down. <clears throat> but there's a scene in there that's funny, but it's so true. After the hyenas tried to attack Simba, y'all know where I'm going, don't y'all? What happened was they tried to attack Simba because it's Simba, first of all, Simba went somewhere that he wasn't supposed to go and the father came to protect him. Man, that will preach, but that's another time for another day. Because how many times we go somewhere, but you see the Lord, come on, let me stop. But anyways, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Lion King is pre- helping us preach the gospel. Anyways, but after the hyenas engage uh, uh, Mufasa there, after what happens is they go in and they go, oh man, I hate Mufasa. And then what happens is they, they, they're sitting over there talking about the situation and then Scar comes in. And then one of the hyenas, oh, oh, ooh, Scar. oh, it's just you, Scar. You know, it was just Scar because they thought it was Mufasa. And then they go on to say that, man, Mufasa, and there's something about, and they go, Mufasa, ooh, something about that name that just caused me to shudder. And then it goes, Mufasa, ooh, Mufasa, Mufasa, and this, ooh, and then they go on and laugh, right? But here's something, I'm telling you this, what this is reminding us is the same thing that there ought to be a response when we know who God is and we recognize his holiness. We ought to tremble before him. We ought to have to some degree the the same response that Isaiah had in Isaiah 6 when he steps in and he sees the presence of God and he realizes and you hear the angels and the cherubim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. His earth fools the glory. Isaiah falls and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Because when you recognize how holy God is, your response will want to praise him because we'll see in the text that he doesn't deal with our justice immediately the way that we should have it dealt with. And I'm going to unpack that here. But you see how holy he is. And we ought to tremble and praise his name because of that. So now is it my, here's the crazy thing about me. We give more reverence to our bosses or someone that we esteem in our life more than we do to God. Don't say amen, say ouch, and woe is me. Is God, is God on the throne of your hearts today? When you go to work, when you're at home, When you're out to gym, wherever you go, it's God on the thrones of your heart. Not just here on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, seven days a week, 24-7, is he on the throne of your hearts? Because again, praise is an outpouring of one's heart. What's on your heart, you will praise. Is he on the throne of your hearts? So now we've seen that we praise God in his reverence. Verses 4 through 5 tells us that we are to worship God with a submissive heart. Interesting when we look here. We see that the text tells us that he loves justice. He establishes equity, meaning he establishes fairness across the board. And that he executes justice and righteousness. And what we have to understand, and this is very true, that God will bring justice on behalf of those who have been wrong. 
He will bring justice on that because there is a lot of injustices in this world. He will cause that to be, he will handle that because he is a holy God and he has to deal with it. And so when we think about it, people may slip by judges. People bend the rules to get advantages. Maybe you've been one who bend the rules. Maybe you've been one who benefit from the rules being bent to get you up. The justice system is flawed in all of its way. But one thing we know here is that we do know that God will demolish every injustice system there is, whether personally in your life and, and through the whole world. Because he's holy. He has to. He has to deal with sin. He can't just let it go by. He has to deal with it. And hear me when I say this. His holiness is across the board. So whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you feel like you're low in status or high in status, the reality of it is is that his holiness, his justice is going across the board. Nobody's going to escape that. God is so holy. His justice is so holy. I'm going to show you in the text here that he deals with it like that. We're going to show you how holy God is when it comes to sin and how he has to deal with it in a just manner. Aaron's sons, Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 3. Nahab and Abihu, what they decided to do was they wanted to light these incense and go into the presence of the Lord. But there was one problem. They were not authorized to go into the uh, presence of the Lord. They were not authorized to go into the most holies of holies. But for whatever their intentions was, all we know the text says is that they tried to approach the presence of God unauthorized. And when they did, the text says they died immediately. Another example is, um, is Yusa. In, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 through 7, the Ark of the Covenant was taken away. Now it's being transferred back to the people of Israel. And what happens is that you got a horse that stumbles. And so what happens is the Ark falls. And you say, in his, in his great heart, he, like many of us do, would go down and try to, to he touch the Ark of the Covenant so it wouldn't fall. But the text tells us, immediately he was strike dead. God's holiness is that serious. His justice is that holy and that serious. Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts, it tells us that when they sold the property, they came and they went before Peter. And he goes, sit over here. He goes, is this all that you have? And they go, yes, it is. And what happens? He says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Notice it said, why did you didn't lie to me? He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And immediately, he fell down dead. God is just. And here's the problem that we have. Think about this. The problem that with sin is that before we even get to the act, the slightest, the increment, the, the centimeter thought that involves there is that you and I think that our right is above God's holy right. We have to be careful of that. And that's what happens when we say we're thinking regardless that I want to do what I want and it's better than a holy God. We have some nerves. But understand this. 
Here's the reality, that God in justice, he will come and he will take care of this justice and he will handle it across all the boards. But understand this one thing. The reason why God's justice is so holy is another element because God is omniscient, meaning he knows all. So that's why it's the sta- he's the standard. He, 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 is a, he establishes it all. He has the fairness, right? The text says he establishes equity. He establishes the fairness because he knows all. Meaning not only does he know the outward appearance, but he also knows what's on the heart. Jeremiah 17.10 tells us that the Lord searches the heart and tests the, mi- and tests the mind. 1 Samuel 16.7 says the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord knows his heart. Jesus told, Jesus even said that, hey, if a man even looks at a woman and lusts in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Well, who would only know that if you did commit, if you committed in your heart? Only the Lord does. He knows all. He knows all. And understand, because he knows all, and his fairness is going to be all, get this, everybody will fall under his judgment. Everyone will experience the judgment of God. For the believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. We will give an account, whether good or bad, for what we have done in his name. And for the non-believers, Revelation tells us that there will be, a, there will be another seat, another judgment, though the white throne judgment that will be taking place. Everyone on this earth, in this world, will be judged by a holy God because he has to deal with it. Well, you say, well, what do I do with that? What does that mean? That's, 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 that's heavy. Yes, it is. The text tells us to exalt and worship God. It, said, it says to exalt the Lord and it says to worship at his footstool. The idea and the imagery here is what it's saying is that the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant that I just explained to you earlier that the cherubim sit on, sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant is his footstool. Meaning that's where the atonement and the judgment of sin took in place, took place. And so because of that, the text says that worship at his footstool. And the idea, what it's saying is that, hey, we ought to worship him. We ought to literally physically posture bow low because he is high. But also in our hearts, we ought to worship him in every sphere of our life. Here's why. Yes, they have the Ark of the Covenant, but we sit over here and we experience the grace of God. Through the cross of Jesus. It was the holy wrath of God that poured out on that cross on Jesus that you and I rightly deserved. So because of that, we ought to worship at the foot of the cross. Every sphere of our life ought to worship and serve him and acknowledge how holy he is, how great he is. He is high, I am low, and therefore I submit my life to him. Every aspect of my life, not just church, not just work, not just being a parent, but every area, every fiber that makes up of who we are ought to worship and to submit to an authority, holy God. And so I ask you this question, is your worship one of submitting to the authority and the holiness of God? We come to this last part. Verses six, excuse me, yeah, verses six through nine. And now what we're going to see is that we ought to worship him. We ought to worship God intimately because of his mercy. See, the text tells us in verses 6 through 9, it uses, it says Samuel, Moses, and Aaron. The text says that they called out to God. They called out to God. And then he answered them. 
How is it that flawed people, because I believe the text, I believe the text is showing us that Aaron and Moses, regardless of, and Samuel, regardless of the status of who you are, they're flawed people just like us. And they too have to deal with the Holy God. And they too, regardless of who you is, you can't, you just can't, just because who you are, you, no matter who you are, no matter how much status or money you have, you just can't approach God anyway. Jesus ain't our homeboy. That's a disrespect to him. I get what people are saying. But you're diminishing his holiness. So you have Aaron and Moses, they sit here, and they approach and said they called to him, and he answered. A holy God they called to. Well, why was it they were able to call and, and call to God in the first place? Well, see, what you have to understand is the text says that he forgave, they forgave their sins, but he was avenger of their wrongdoings. See, as I told you, when it comes to the Ark of the Covenant when, that was inside the temple, which the, uh, the tabernacle, and then you have inside the tabernacle, you have the holies of holy, the most holiest place. See, understand, once a year, the priests were to go in and atone for their sins and the sins of everyone else. And so, because they sit there and did, and, and what they would do is they would take the blood of an of a innocent um, animal and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And because they sprinkled on emergency, it was only then and only then are they really able to call out to a holy God and for him to respond. Because their sins were dealt with. The text tells us at the end here, it tells us that, hey, we are to exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain. Well, understand this here. Before we can even call to God, before God will even answer us, before we can even go and worship at the holy mountain that we will come, there was another mountain that came before that. That mountain called Golgotha, where Jesus sat there and he took your sins, my sins, and he nailed it to the cross. The sin, the debt that stood against you and I and of the whole world and the holy wrath of God poured out upon him, on that, on him. And it was because of that, because he died and took that that justice on our behalf. And when we put our faith and hope and trust in him, only then are we really able to worship him on this holy mountain. Only then are you able to call out to a holy God. When the text tells us that, hey, we can approach the throne of grace boldly in Hebrews 16, make no mistake. You can't just walk up into the presence of God like you big and bad, like your stuff don't stink. No, what happens is that God sees the blood of Jesus draped all over you. And because he sees the blood of Jesus garment wrapped up in you, what happens is now you can come in messed up, limping, broke, and come boldly before the God because your sins and my sins were paid for through the blood of Jesus. People, because of that, how awesome is it that we can worship a holy God? He forgave our sins. So praise him in reverence. Submit your heart to him in worship. And praise him with intimacy because his mercy drapes ever so much over our life. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the love that you 
constantly pour out upon us. I pray, Father, that you will, that, 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 that people will respond to your goodness. Thank you that you didn't just leave us stranded, but you had a plan in place from, in place from the eternity to handle the sins of your people. Thank you for your love, your patience, and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to respond to that. I'd like to have a moment of response in our hearts because that's heavy, right? We talk about the holiness of God and you're like, what do I do with that? What do I, what do, I do with that? Right? You don't understand. I, I'm, 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 I'm dirty. I done sin. I done did things last night. Nobody knows. But one thing that the text mentions at the end of verse 9, it says, the Lord our God is holy. Our God. Yes, he is so holy. But it's attention because how do you, he's so holy, but yet he loves the sinner evermore. So if you're feeling unclean, you're feeling unworthy, how do you respond? Hey, run to Jesus. He cleanses you. His blood cleanses you. So take a moment in this time. Respond. Put your heart posture before a holy God and trust that he'll speak to you.